Today's Bible reading was from John chapter 14, verse 15 to 31. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be, loved, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judah, is Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All these I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send me, will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard my say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, come over, or come now, let us leave. Thanks, Miranda. Well, I've got two kids, two daughters. Uh, Bella is three and Mia is ten months. And Mia is in a particularly cute phase at the moment. She's awesome. She really loves her big sister. She giggles a lot and she's very funny and affectionate. But not everything about her is good. And one of the things that's hard work about Mia at the moment is her kind of attachment to me. So if I leave the room with Mia in the room, it's like I'm attached to a piece of elastic that she's tied to at the other end and it's maximum five seconds before the elastic pulls me back into the room to her. If I leave Mia in the room alone, I know that I'm going to be pulled back in there within a couple of seconds because one of two things will happen. Either she'll whine, I'll hear this kind of noise and then this little thump thump of fists and knees as she starts kind of storming after me out of the room. That's one thing that will happen. Or there'll be silence and that's worse. (laughs) 
because if there's silence, I can almost guarantee that what she'll be doing is finding the grossest thing on the ground in the room and eating it. It might be scraps of dinner that the dog couldn't reach under the table or uh, bits of grass that have fallen off the dog's fur or stickers or bits of Play-Doh. She'll find whatever the grossest thing is in the room and she'll be quietly, happily eating it. So either way, I know that within five seconds of leaving the room, I'm going to be pulled back in to have to work out what's going on with her. One time, she cried all the way through dinner as she ate her meal and then at the end of the meal, she was kind of moving something around in her mouth and we fished out this jagged little rock that she'd been holding in there for who knows how long. (laughs) If I leave her alone, she either calls out because she needs me or she's naughty. She's either anxious or naughty. And I think, to be honest, all of us are a little bit like that. Maybe you remember in high school that experience when you arrive at class but a teacher doesn't arrive on time. Do you remember that? And within about five seconds of the teacher not arriving on time, it's Lord of the Flies in there. (laughs) I remember one time in year 10, the teacher would have been like max five minutes late, but in that five minutes, we took every chair and table in the whole room and built them into a pyramid that (laughs) touched the ceiling of the room before he arrived at the door. Or maybe if you're a worker, uh, when you're in the office and your boss is away, do the people around you or do you act any different? Maybe longer lunch breaks, kind of leisurely conversations by the kettle. That definitely doesn't happen in the St. Jude's office, but maybe happens at other places. Well, that, that sense of, of anxiety when the parent or the boss or when Jesus leaves is where we find his followers in this passage. In, in these uh, sermons, as we explore John 14 to 17, we're tracking the conversation that Jesus has with his friends, with his disciples, the night before the events begin leading to his crucifixion. He's preparing them for him to die, rise again, and ascend back to heaven. And so they're worried Right, they're worried because Jesus says he's going away. They're like COVID dogs watching their owner put their office clothes back on for the first time. Right? They're freaking out. Oh no, he's going to leave us. He's going away. And so Jesus comforts them. He reassures them. He strengthens them by explaining to them that he will not, in his language, he will not leave them as orphans, but will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to them. And what Jesus does is is twofold. There's two things that he does in these verses with his disciples. And so this is what we're going to do together as well. First he teaches them about how God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit relates to them. And he does that in order to strengthen them to live for him in this world. He teaches them how God, the Father, Son and Spirit relates to them in order to strengthen them to live for him in this world. There's a couple of things that show us that these outcomes are what he's he's hoping for. Um, Have a look at verse 27 in front of you. This is kind of the, the emotional outcome that Jesus is hoping for. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
and there's a, a kind of a repeated refrain that shows the kind of lived outcome, the, the behaviour outcome that Jesus is hoping for from his words. He desires that his followers would obey his commands, that they would keep his commands. So he teaches them about how God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit relates to them in order to strengthen them to live for him in this world. And so that's what our time together is going to be like as we explore the passage. We're going to do those things together. And now, maybe you notice as we read it, this passage and the section that it fits within the farewell discourse, it's often called, is the place where Jesus perhaps most thoroughly, most comprehensively teaches his followers and us about the nature of God as Trinity. The Trinity. This, this foundational belief of Christianity. It's the subject of confusion from many, scorn from others. It's the truth that God is both one and three. God is one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. When Georgia and Stuart are baptised later in our service, we will baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God. When I was studying at college, uh, studying theology and coming to the lecture where we began our kind of exploration of the doctrine of the Trinity, I remember feeling some relief actually when my theology lecturer acknowledged with us that actually God is big, right? He's bigger than us. He's bigger than our minds. And so thinking about the Trinity is trying to understand the very, the very being, the very nature of God. And so of, of course it feels beyond our grasp. He's a big God. There is some mystery involved in the doctrine of the Trinity that will be revealed, resolved for us when we're face to face with God. But until then, God graciously reveals enough of himself to us, for us to know him and live for him. But remember, Jesus isn't giving a theology lecture here. What's he doing? He's strengthening them to live for him in the world. He's comforting them. He's assuring them. He's giving them strength. And so as we dig into the Trinity, that's what we're doing as well. Have a look with me uh, from verse 15, if you've got your Bible there or uh, in the service sheet. Jesus says to them, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. So, can you see the kind of logic of that, the, the Trinity at work in that short couple of verses? Jesus is calling his nervous followers here to keep my commands. And then he tells them that he, that's Jesus, will ask the Father who will give them another advocate to help them and be with them forever called the Spirit of Truth. So after Jesus departs, when he goes away, he'll ask the Father in heaven, we see God the Trinity here, right, coming into view, who will send another advocate, someone who's like Jesus, but not Jesus, who will help Jesus' followers. The Spirit of Truth, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. Well, who is this 
Spirit to us. One Christian writer, A.W. Tozer, he wrote this, the idea of the Holy Spirit to the average church member is so vague as to be non-existent. Or another writer, Lloyd John Ogilvie, he wrote, sadly, many Christians settle for two-thirds of God. God the Father is way up there somewhere, aloof and apart from their daily lives. Christ is out there somewhere, somewhere between them and the Father. The Holy Spirit is some kind of vague force or impersonal power they hear about but do not know intimately. In Scripture, he is called the Spirit of Counsel, the Eternal Spirit. He's called God. He's called the Lord, the Good Spirit, the Power of the Most High, the Spirit of Might, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of Life, and on and on it goes. But in our verses today, the the dominant name that's given to the Holy Spirit is the Advocate. You can see it there if you're kind of marking your verses in, in 16 and 26. And as Jesus goes on in the passages we'll explore over the coming weeks, he uses that term again several more times. If you've been around church for a while, you might have thought about that term before, dug into that term before, advocate. It's translated in different uh, translations of the Bible as comforter or helper or counsellor. It's from a Greek word, um, parakletos, which means to be called alongside to help. So sometimes this term, the advocate, is rendered as, as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help. He's our advocate. He helps us. He is God for us. And so as we explore the role of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see how he is God for us, how he's God with us, and how he's God in us. The Holy Spirit is God for us. He's God on our behalf, God on our team, God in our corner, God our support and our teacher. In this conversation Jesus is having with his followers, the paraclete performs several different functions. He teaches and reminds us of Jesus' words. He testifies about Christ. He guides us into truth. He proves the world to be in the wrong about the gospel. He reveals what is to come and he glorifies Christ. He helps in all kinds of ways, right? If he's a helper, he's a generalist helper, not a specialist helper. I was trying to think of an image, an illustration to help us understand this helping ministry of the Spirit. I I think maybe the best I can think of is, like, think of a, a refugee advocate, A refugee needs all kinds of help, lots of different help. And so their advocate helps them in lots of ways, like accessing services, navigating the legal system, finding housing, organising support, maybe going to meetings with them, helping them to understand local culture. The Holy Spirit helps in that general what we need kind of sense. One writer writes, the Spirit will do for Christians what Christ did for them, but he will also do it differently, that is, from within. God is for you. 
He sends his spirit to help you in your Christian life. God doesn't just bring us to salvation and then pat us on the head and say, off you go, good luck. God puts his money where his mouth is. He follows through. If you ever find it hard to know that God cares about you or that he wants good for you, then know that the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is evidence on top of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that God is for you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows you intimately. He wants good for you. With his spirit in you, he shares every experience that you experience. He knows your every sadness and grief, every joy, every hope. He brings about change in your life as he sanctifies you, as he makes you more like Jesus. And he's sovereign over all the circumstances, all the events of your life. In the Holy Spirit, we see God for us. And we see God with us. The Holy Spirit of God is with us. If he's our advocate, if he's our helper, he doesn't advocate or help from a distance. He's present and close with us. That's important for these guys, right? Because what are they worried about? They're worried about Jesus leaving them, being left alone without the presence of of the incarnate God of the universe who's been walking with them, talking with them, teaching them, guiding them. We're in John's Gospel, right? Back in John chapter 1, in the kind of introduction, the prologue to his Gospel, John wrote that the eternal word became flesh. That means God himself added humanity to his divinity. When Jesus was speaking to these guys, he was speaking the very words of God, unfiltered, unveiled. God himself speaking with them. It's no wonder that they're worried about him going away, right? But we don't need to worry because we worship a God who is with us. He came to be with us in the person of Jesus and then he gave us his enduring, his ongoing presence in the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This is huge. This means everything, right? Because there are all kinds of religions and spiritualities in the world that have a picture of a transcendent God, a God who's big and powerful and glorious and rules over everything. But I don't think there's any other faith that suggests anything like the Christian declaration that God took on humanity and continues to live with us. I did a bit of reading around this as I was exploring these verses and and I read a bit about Islam's understanding of the transcendence and the imminence of Allah. That means the kind of bigness and the closeness of Allah. Islam asserts that Allah is, is imminent, he is close to us, but only by appealing to his ongoing sustaining of all of creation and in sending prophets to us, sending other people to talk to us. For me, that's an that's a unsatisfying picture of God's closeness to me. Imagine if, imagine if my dad paid my rent, had groceries delivered every week to my house, provided a cleaner, and sent me emails with instructions to follow 
about what to do and how to live, but I never met him in person. Would that be a satisfying relationship with my dad? No. He would be like my, my patron or my sponsor, not my father, right? No, we worship a God who's with us. He's with you. The Spirit isn't just a force. The Spirit isn't just a babysitter, like a substitute for the real thing while the parents are away. You know, Mia, she cries out when I leave the room because she wants me with her. It's not enough for her to hear my voice from the other room. It doesn't work when we FaceTime because she gets all frustrated because I'm kind of there but not really. Jesus says in verse 23, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. God makes his home with us, father and son, present by the spirit with us. The Holy Spirit is God with us and that's good news. Not only is God for you, not only is God with you, in the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God is in you. Have a look at these verses. Verse 17. The world cannot accept the Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Or verse 20, on that day you will realise that I, that's Jesus, am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. It was was 40 days or so after Jesus died and rose again and spent time with his followers and then ascended to heaven, just like he's promising he will here. About 40 days after that, the disciples are hiding together in a room, uncertain leaderless and Acts 2 says suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit The church was born here in this moment. Just like Jesus promised in our passage in John 14, 16, he had returned to the Father, asked the Father to send another advocate, to send the Holy Spirit to help us, and the Father had granted Jesus' request. And so the Father and Son came to make their home among their people as the Holy Spirit indwelt each and every believer flooding through the church and activating them to start God's great project of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These guys, they go from timid and rudderless disciples to fearless, gospel-shining apostles, messengers of good news because God's spirit is in them. A little while later in Acts 4, is they're proclaiming the gospel to the Jewish elders by the power of the Spirit. The elders, they see the courage of Peter and John, who were the leaders among the apostles, and it says they realised that they were unschooled 
ordinary men. What the elders see is the spirit on display in them. And, verse 13 says, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That same astonishing spirit is in us. He is in us. It's my deep, my desperate desire for my own life that people would have that same experience, that they would see the indwelling spirit powerfully on display through this ordinary man, be astonished and take note that he had been with Jesus. Do you want that? That's the promise of God's spirit in you. His extraordinary presence in you turns you, ordinary believer, into a light for Jesus. The Spirit in you makes you an ambassador for Christ. He makes you a light in the darkness. He makes you a representative of God on the earth. He makes you a refracting image of Christ in the world. through our union with Christ in his death and resurrection that we'll remember in baptism tonight, through our reconciliation, our our rejoining with the Father, through our experience of the Spirit in us, we are drawn into the life of God himself. Did you see that in verse 20? Jesus says, I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Peter says it like this, He's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. In some wonderful, mysterious way, God enters humanity and joins our life with his. He unites us with himself. Well, do you remember, what are the the two things that we're seeing Jesus do in this passage. We're seeing him show us how God the Trinity relates to us in order to strengthen us to live for him. So let's think about how God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us strengthens us to live for Jesus. Maybe you've wondered about the real-life implications of the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But does that actually change anything about how you live your day-to-day life or how you relate to God tonight or tomorrow? Well, in the moment we have left, I want to consider just how much the truth of God as Trinity shapes our life and our worship every day. God, the Trinity, God for us and with us and in us, gives us what we need to live for him in this world. Because he's with us, because he's for us, because he's in us, we can obey his commands. We can live the life he calls us to. Did you notice in the passage when we read it, this phrase, the world? kept coming up. Have a glance across the passage now. There's six times Jesus mentions 
the world. The, the Greek word for that is cosmos, which is a word that we still kind of use to talk about the universe, right? And if we look back again to the beginning of John's book, to the, to the prologue, John wrote, the true light that gives, every, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. This is important for understanding how God's nature as Trinity helps us to live for Jesus. Right? The, the world in John's Gospel is the, the created order which did not recognise Jesus. It's the created order in rebellion against God. That's how John uses this phrase, the world. And that's the realm in which you and I live and work and worship. And so because we live and work and worship in the realm of the created order in rebellion against God, the Christian life can be hard. It can be difficult to live for Jesus, to honour him in this world. Because we live in these kind of two realities at the same time, right? We, we live in the kingdom of God that Jesus brought in and that will continue into eternity. But we also still live in this world, which continues for a while but is passing away. And we live in both of those at the same time. And so it can be hard to live the way Jesus calls us to live. And like for a child whose parent leaves the room this world can be a place where we fear the absence of God's presence. But we have no need for fear because we are never alone. We don't need to live in fear in this world because we are never alone. And because although the world didn't receive Jesus, although it's sometimes hostile to his people, God loves his world. Do you remember John's other famous words about the world in his gospel? What does he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is for us as we live for Jesus in this world. He's with us as we live for Jesus in this world and he's in us as we live for Jesus in this world so that as we live for him we might carry the gospel to the ends of the earth in the power of the spirit and for the glory of Jesus so if you ever feel like the Christian life is too hard if you ever attempted to despair at the recurring sin that just continues to grab you if you feel like you haven't got it in you to obey Jesus' commands, to live the way he calls us to live, then know that you have got it in you because you have him in you. You have the Holy Spirit of God and you can obey the commands of Jesus. It's his plan to do that work in you and to transform the world through us as we carry his gospel by his spirit. So, as Jesus comforts us, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Because God, the Father, Son and Spirit 
is for you, with you, and in you as you live for Jesus in this world. I'm going to thank him that he is and pray that he would help us as he promises to live for him. So would you pray with me? And then after that we'll sing. God, we thank you that you are for us, you are with us, you are in us. Thank you that by the power of your spirit we can obey the commands of Jesus. We can live the way he calls us to live. And we pray, Lord, as you promise you will, that you would help us as we do. We pray it for Jesus' glory. Amen.